our sermon series entitled, The Red Letters. The Red Letters. Uh, most Bibles, they have, when uh, quoting the words of Jesus, is written in red ink so that you know it's Jesus speaking. And uh, share a quick little story. I had this friend of mine, and we kind of came into church together, and, and he ended up getting saved, and, and someone bought him a Bible. And they gave him the Bible, and they said, look, it, when you read the words of Jesus, uh, you know, you'll see the words of Jesus written in red. And he looked, and he says, oh, I see that. I see that the words are in red, and, and he was getting excited. And, and, and what he didn't realize, what, what he thought, and, and, and it was that um, as born-again believers, we have the privilege of seeing regular print in red, you know. And I was like, hey, no, that's not what it means. It means it's, it's, it's just written in red. And he was excited, you know. He was a little disappointed that, that it wasn't some mystery or some mystical that was going on. But uh, he was excited that uh, he had revelation. He was excited that his eyes were blind, but now he can see the spiritual truths and that uh, he just wasn't experiencing some religious experience, but he was experiencing a, a touch of God, that the words of Jesus, they were written in red, but they were piercing and penetrating his heart. We, as believers, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're able to, when we read the Word of God, when we study the Scriptures, we're able to receive revelation. God is able to speak to us. He's able to minister to us. And when we read the Word of God, it, it is alive. It is an act, active, like the, like the book of Hebrews says, that it, it, um, it cuts. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And when we study and when we meditate upon the Word of God, it, it truly does judge our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. The reason is, is because uh, the Word of God is just no mere book. It's, just, it's not a self-help book. Uh, it's not a motivational book. It's, it's, a living, it's the living Word of God. It, 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 inside of those 60, 66 books within the Bible, there contains the messages of hope, of love, of peace, of salvation, of deliverance. It's the story of what God has done for His people throughout the ages. Someone said, the Bible is not man's word about God, but it's God's word about man. And what the Bible is, when we read the Bible, it's, it's like, in, like a mirror, right? When you look into a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. You see your reflection. My wife has this mirror that um, is magnified, and so from a distance, uh, you can't, it looks blurry, but the closer you get to that mirror, oh my goodness, you can see the pores, you can see, uh, you see things you don't want to see, you know, and, and it, why? Because uh, it's magnifying your reflection. So if you don't like something there, it's not the mirror's fault. Uh, better not go there. But that's what the Bible does, is it reflects back to us who we are. It knows, uh, you know, when we're dealing with certain issues, uh, what we're going through, what we're struggling with, the Bible will show us, it'll, it'll, as we read and study the Word of God, it'll begin to expose to us what it is that we're dealing with. The Bible contains the mind of God, contains His thoughts, His views, His judgments. Uh, it contains His heart. The Bible is a, is a record of God's love uh, and his compassion and his mercy and his kindness and his grace. Uh, 
that, is, that he shows upon his people. God's scripture, like I said, it, it, it reflects who we are. You ever read the Bible and you realize, man, God is speaking to me right now. Because God is, 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 is dealing with you maybe about your pride or maybe anger or bitterness. And, and you just so happen to be reading scriptures that say you shouldn't have pride. You shouldn't have anger. Be sinning in your anger. Or get rid of bitterness. You know, it, it confirms uh, when we study and we read the word, it, it confirms what the spirit of God might be dealing with us about. Because the spirit of God will speak to us. It will prompt us. It will try to warn us. And, and as we read God will confirm in his word that the spirit of God has been speaking to us. Gives us wisdom. Gives us guidance, direction. Sometimes we we don't know what the clear answer is. And we seek God in prayer. And as we pray and as we read the word of God, God begins to, to bring the direction. Be still. Just wait upon the Lord. Don't be hasty. These are promptings that the spirit of God will give us through his word. It's filled with blessings. It's filled with promises of, of blessings and provision. The Bible is also filled with warnings and cautions. Uh, cautions that when heated will protect us from the strategies of the enemy. I hear people say that, um, well, I heard God say this to me. or God spoke to me and he said this. And I believe God speaks to us. I've, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've never been in a place uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I was going and God says, stop, don't make a left, make a right. I, I've never heard that, uh, but I do hear from God. I've over the years learned how to hear his voice. Uh, and I know that God speaks to uh, 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 us, uh, but he confirms it through his word. He confirms it through his word. You want to hear the voice of God? You want to hear God speak to you? Study his word. Read his word. Meditate on his word. And you'll see that God will begin to give you clear and concise uh, direction for your life. The red letters in our Bibles are the words that Jesus spoke to us. To us from the Father. And those words, those, those precious words that's, that Jesus spoke to us, those words that are written in red, they bring life to us. They bring direction. They bring healing. They bring strength. They bring encouragement to each and every one of us. In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus is saying this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is, is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me, and does his work through me. Tonight I've entitled this message, If You Love Me. If You Love Me. Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, it serves as an example to each and every one of us. Uh, his heart, his motives, his missions uh, was all kingdom-minded. It was all to be about his father's business. From the time he was a child, the earliest record when he was a child at the temple to the night that he spent praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, his attitude was not my will, but your will be done. His passion was to carry out the will of the Father. His, his desire was to see that the will of God be accomplished here on earth. Not my will, but your will be done was his attitude, was his mindset. When Jesus uh, taught, when he performed miracles, when he spoke, when he healed, his whole ministry 
was in accordance with God and was in accordance with God's uh, will and God's word. Jesus said, when his disciples asked, if they could see the Father. If they could, he, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. It's a bold statement. And what Jesus was saying was the same authority that God has, Jesus has also. So when we begin to read the words of God, when we begin to read those words written in red letters, we can understand that those words uh, come with the same authority as the Almighty, that those words carry weight, uh, that those words uh, are, 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 are mighty. Those words bring life. Those words, those precious words, are words that we should be quoting to ourselves, the word of God. It's important that we, we speak the word of God into our lives, that we speak the word of God into our situations and our circumstances, that we speak the word of God into our children, that we speak the word of God into our marriage. It's because it's the word of God that brings that life, uh, that brings that protection, that reminds us uh, that God is mighty, that God is able, that God is powerful. No matter what we're going through, no matter what kind of struggle or situation that we can reference back to the word of God. We find in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, that Jesus, he gives a sermon, a famous sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's speaking... That sermon, in those chapters, it's filled with uh, some very hard words and some very um, um, profound statements about uh, who we are, the human condition. He talks about murder and adultery starting in the heart. It begins in the heart. He talks about loving your enemies. And even that statement in and of itself, we, when, when we hear love your enemies, uh, our gut reaction is, why would I love my enemy? I want to bring like the, the sons of thunder. I want to bring fire on my enemy, right? And Jesus is saying you have to love your enemies. He's saying to turn the other cheek. Again, when, when we think of someone insulting us or hurting us, our first reaction is to defend ourselves. It's not to turn the other cheek. And I'm not saying we're you know, spiritual punching bags. Or, or, but what Jesus was saying is that uh, your old way of thinking isn't going to cut it in the kingdom of God. There's something that needs to change and take place within your heart, within your mind, within your life. He talks about uh, hypocrisy and judging. He talks about the futility of worrying. Why worry, he says. You can't grow an inch by worrying. He also talks about being the salt and the light of the earth. What's expected of believers, what's expected of his children, what's expected of those who bear the name of, of Christ, Christian. He gives us the Beatitudes and, and those, those challenging words that if we would listen and we would obey and we would, we would do as those words says, all well, the rewards that those challenging words bring. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying if, if you can get to a place in your life uh, where this is going on, you're going to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's saying these words are difficult to hear. They're difficult to receive. But if you apply these words to your life, you will be blessed. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. 
the model of prayer, and how we should pray, how should we should come before the Father. Those words that he spoke some 2,000 years ago, they weren't just relevant for then. They're relevant for today, for this day and age. And in fact, I would even go as far as to say that they're, they're, they're more relevant today, they're more needed today than ever. Because we're, we're living in a world where this society, this world in general, has rejected the words of God, has rejected the words of Christ. And because of that rejection, we're seeing uh, what's been taking place, the division that goes on, the, the, the chaos, the, the insecurities, you know, because we've rejected the word of God as a society. We've taken prayer and the study of the word of God out of our schools. And look what's been taking place. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, Pastor Richard was talking about the, back in the 40s, 50s, some of the main concerns or some of the main issues going on in schools were gum chewing and running in the halls. And he says, but if now in this day and age, some of the main concerns are assaults, acts of violence, because we see the fruit of a society that has rejected the word of God. We need to allow the word of God to govern our lives. We need to allow the word of God uh, to be our, that moral compass by which we live by. The word of God says this. The word of God says, says that. And this is what I'm going to base my life on. Because there's blessings and there's protection in those precious red letters. After he had finished in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 28 through 29, it says, And so it was that when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. And so if you look, the Bible didn't say he's taught as one with authority, but as one having authority. And you say, well, what's, what's, the, what's the difference? Well, Jesus wasn't just speaking about something he had heard or picked up along the way, but he, he spoke as the ma one who had mastery or command or power over what he was speaking about. It's like if, if your supervisor, the president of the company, was to delegate his authority and, and, and tell someone, I need you to go and do this. And if anyone says, you tell them that I told you to do it. That individual has the authority given to him by the owner. But that authority is different because he can't make a decision without the owner. The owner has the ultimate authority to decide what's right or what's wrong. The ultimate authority to say, this is good or this is not good. And Jesus spoke as one that had the authority to say, this is right and this is wrong. This brings life. This brings death. This brings blessing and prosperity. This brings cursing. He spoke with that kind of authority. And this, it was that authority that made Jesus stand out from any other kind of prophet or religious individual. It was that authority that uh, made the disciples want to leave everything to follow him. It was the authority that he had. And, and one disciple that we're going to look at tonight in particular is Peter. Peter. I think for me, Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And I think it's because he's so relatable. He's so relatable. He 
genuine, had a zeal and a love for Jesus. But Peter was very impulsive, you know, very quick to make decisions, very quick to commit without really counting the costs at times. Peter was the one that got out of the water, or excuse me, got out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. He saw Jesus walking on water, and he says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come, tell me to get out of the boat. And, and, I, and I really think that as Jesus was speaking, hey, come on out, he was already getting out of the boat. He was the one that had the faith that he was walking on water, but that same Peter who was filled with the Spirit of God and filled with faith, uh, the minute he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink, began to drown. It was, G it was Peter who felt that he wasn't worthy for Jesus to, to wash his feet. Remember the example that Jesus did where he got down and began to wash the feet of his disciples. And Peter said, not me, Lord. I can't have you washing my feet. This is beneath you, Lord. Jesus begins to explain to Peter that I, if you don't allow me to do this, you can't have any part of me. And Peter says, well, don't just do my whole feet. Just do my whole body now, right? Took it to that extreme, right? It was the same Peter that on the night when Jesus was arrested, he draws his sword to defend Jesus. He draws his sword to, to protect his Lord, to protect his Savior. Uh, and, and he ends up taking the ear off of, of one of the servants there that came to arrest Jesus. Uh, and just a few hours later, it's that same Peter who was willing to take someone's head off for, for, his, for his Lord. It was that same Peter that denied Jesus. Peter was, uh, I, I believe, an individual that had tremendous grace over his life. Jesus, uh, in spite of everything that Peter was doing and, and putting his foot in his mouth and saying things, man, Jesus had so much grace over his life. He would mold him and he would shape him and he desired to use Peter. He saw something within Peter. He told Peter, you're a fisherman, but if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll give you a purpose, Peter. I'll give you a call, Peter. I'll give you a life worth living, Peter. Not just existing, but living, living for me. Peter's name actually was Simon. His name was Simon Barjona. Simon, son of Jonah, that's what his name was. And Jesus changed his name. He changed his name to Simon Peter. And the name Peter means rock, Petros in Greek. And, 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 you, and I, when I read that, I was like, man, Peter really wasn't a rock. He seemed unstable because a rock is something stable. A rock is, is something you would place a foundation on, right? But again, Jesus was recognizing something in, in Peter. He saw that Peter had resolve, that he had fortitude, and that no matter how many times Peter failed or no matter how many times Peter missed the mark, he was still determined to follow Jesus. And that's what's important, because I think what makes a great man or woman of God uh, is that their ability to continue to, even though they might trip or stumble, is to get up and continue serving God, to get up and continue to walk with him, to get up and continue to go forward for him. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They rise again. And maybe you've tripped, and maybe you've stumbled or fallen. The Bible says uh, he counts you righteous uh, 
not because you're righteous of your works, but because of what Jesus has done in your life. And you have that ability to get back up. You have that ability to dust yourself off and go forward for Christ and go forward for God. Don't stay down. Don't stay down where the enemy's lies begin to compile. But get up and trust in that word of God. Trust in, in what the Bible says. Peter, throughout the course of his walk with, with Christ there when Jesus was on the earth, had, had three, three questions that were kind of defining. They were defining moments in Peter's life as he answered them. And the first one is, uh, who do you say I am? That was a question that Jesus gave to his disciples as well as Peter. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16 Verses 13 through 16, it says, Now when, Pete, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and he said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so I think one of the things, the main thing that Jesus saw in Peter and why he invested so much into Peter was that he saw within Peter the ability for Peter to hear from God. The ability to, in spite of everything going on within his life, he had the ability to listen to the voice of God. And if we're going to make it, we need to learn how to train ourselves to listen to the voice of God, to listen to what he's saying, to listen to his word as, as we're reading, as we're studying it, or as it's coming uh, across the pulpit. When he said, who do men say that I am, it's not that Jesus was interested in what the world thinks about him. I don't think Jesus is too interested in what the world thinks about him because the world doesn't have a, a God-breathed knowledge of who Jesus is. What Jesus wanted to know was, who do you? Who do you, disciple? Who do you, son? Or who do you, daughter, say that I am? And it's a question that we have to ask ourselves as well when we read those words. Who do we say Jesus is in our lives? Do we say he's Lord and Savior of our life? Do we say he's king of our hearts? Do, do we say he's our Alpha and our Omega, the, the first and the last person that we think about uh, at the beginning and the end of the day? Do, do we say he's our rock, our fortress, our high tower? Do we say he's the one that we trust in, the one that he, we believe in? Do, 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 do we say these things? Do we say he is my everything? He is my everything. Peter was able to answer him, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And I think there's times where we need to go back and remember who Jesus is in our lives and who do we say he is in our lives. Do you remember when you first got saved, however many years ago it was or however many days ago it was, when you first uh, tasted of the love of Jesus Christ, when you first uh, received that salvation, when you first received that forgiveness, when your eyes were open and you knew uh, that Jesus had come to save you. That's such a good feeling. That's such an amazing feeling. 
That's such a, a, a feeling where, where that's, you, you can't explain it sometimes. But you know that you know that you know that God is real. You know that Jesus has done a work in your life. You know that Jesus has, has saved you. And so when the devil lies and says, where's your God? You got to reference back to that moment where he found you. Reference back to a moment where he interrupted your life and said, come follow me. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you life. I'll make you a fisher of men. We need to constantly be referencing back to the word of God and referencing back uh, to what Christ has done within our lives. Jesus, he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said that he's the bread of life. He said that he's the wealth of living water. And so when he speaks, uh, when we're able to read those red letters, uh, what takes place is that, w- that whatever darkness uh, is, is going to get cast out and the light's going to get ushered in. W- whatever fear or worry you might have, uh, that's gone, man. And, and, and you know what gets invited into your life is peace and security. Whatever apprehension you might have, uh, when you begin to read the word of God and, and, and just embrace those words as God's speaking to you, that comfort comes in, that encouragement comes in, that blessing comes in. But we don't know unless we're reading. We don't know unless we're studying. We don't know unless we're opening up that, the greatest book ever written. We don't know unless we're also obeying that word. It's not enough to just read that word and say, these are great words. But when those words are put into practice, when those words are, are obeyed, man, that opens the doors for blessings and promises. Man. In John chapter 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. As parents, we love our children. Amen. No matter how old they are, no matter what kind of trials they've put us through, no matter what kind of challenges we might have faced with them, as parents, we love our children. And we love our children and we ask them, would you just please listen? Would you just please obey what I have to say? And it's not because we want to be domineering in their lives. It's not because, uh, you know, it's my way or the highway. This is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship in my house. Maybe you've said, I've said those things, right? No, it's because we love them. We love our children. And we want the best for our children. And we want what's right for our children. And we know that if our children would just obey what we have to say, that they're going to be blessed. They're going to be protected. That we're trying to set our children up for success, not failure or hurt or, 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 or misery. And it's the same with the word of God. We have a father in, in heaven who loves us. We have a father in heaven that desires to spend time with us, that desires fellowship with us, that has given us his word, and that when we obey his word, no matter how difficult it might be to obey, no matter how sacrificial it might seem, there's blessings in obedience to his word. There's There's promises that are opened in obedience to his word. There's protection. There's a covering that comes in obedience to his word. Because God loves us. Because he won't steer us 
wrong. He's never failed us. Uh, he's never show, not, not shown up for us. Uh, he's an on-time God. Uh, he's a merciful God. And he's saying, if you love me, trust me. Trust that I have this planned out for each and every one of us, each and every one of us here tonight. See, obedience not only brings protection, but it also brings restoration. We know disobedience leads to rebellion, rebellion to sin, and the ultimate penalty of sin is, is death, as the Bible says. So when God is speaking, it's important that we listen, obey to be what doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. When we begin to ignore the Spirit of God, when we ignore the prompting and the warning of the Holy Spirit, when we're not in our word, when we're not uh, studying, when we're not allowing God to confirm in us uh, uh, what he's been prompting in our hearts, then, then there's a danger zone there. And that's what happened to Peter in his life. Uh, Peter's greatest failure in life was that he, yes, he denied the Lord Jesus the night of his arrest. You see, earlier that night, uh, Jesus was speaking about his crucifixion and what was going to be taking place. And Peter was there, and he was saying, no way, Lord, no way am I going to allow this to happen. I'll go to prison with you. I'm your ride or die. I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, before the morning, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me already three times. And he takes Peter with him into the garden of Gethsemane, right? He takes him with him, and he, and he tells Peter in Matthew 26, 41, Peter, as well as the other disciples, he says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, for the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He's telling Peter, it's about to go down. Pray, watch. I'm giving you this opportunity right now to listen to what I'm saying, to the words I have authority to speak. Pray. And, and, and we know the story. Peter and all the disciples, they, they hit the snooze button. They, they stayed asleep. And so when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter didn't recognize the battle he was in. It was no longer physical. It wasn't against flesh and blood. It was now spiritual. And Peter could only react in the way that he only knew how to react was by taking out a sword and trying to chop a head off. And, and, and if we're honest, when we're offended... When we're hurt, that's what we want to do. Or is it just me? And what does Jesus do? Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. And he heals the servant. He rebukes Peter. This is not what my kingdom is about. You as a disciple, that's not what I've called you to do. I could bring down legions of angels to deliver me right now, but this isn't the way that I'm asking you to behave. See, Jesus was not a, a, a destroyer. Jesus is a restorer. He restores us. And it was on that cross. It was on that cross where the plan of God was taking place. I, I, when I was um, writing this message, I, was, I don't know why I thought about this old skit. We used to do skits years ago. And um, the skit was, what if Jesus got off the cross? And, and it went like uh, there was a young disciple who was just tired, man. He was tired of being mocked. He was trying to go, tired of going through trials. He, he was tired of just uh, of, of, of living for God, right? And he says, you know what? I give up. And the older, wiser disciple said, hey, man, don't give up. You know, what if Jesus gave up? What if he gave up on the cross? And then all of a sudden it 
flashes over uh, to uh, Jesus is on the cross, and, and he's got his arms stretched out, and he's saying, Lord, your Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then there's a pause, and Jesus says, but the guy who pulled my beard, he knew what he was doing. And the guy that spit in my face, he definitely knew what he was doing. And the guy that stole my clothes, he knew what he, he goes, you know what? They can save themselves. And Jesus gets off the cross and he walks off, right? And, uh, and the young disciple says, well, yeah, man, I, didn't, I guess I didn't see it that way. Remember those skits? But that's, that was Jesus on the cross. As painful as the cross was, and, and, and as, like, doesn't make sense to the human mind how our salvation can come across by a man dying on a cross, it was the plan of God. It was the plan of God all along. It was what he predicted that needed to take place. Uh, and it was through all that pain that he suffered that we can receive healing tonight. Amen. Peter did deny Jesus. Think about what he was experiencing, Peter, when he denied uh, the Lord. Uh, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment. You know, he went back to his old lifestyle, went back to fishing. And, and the Bible says that while Peter was fishing one night, it was unsuccessful. Jesus stood after he had risen, risen from the dead. He had stood at the, at the seashore, and he was cooking. And he motions to Peter to come, and, and there goes Peter jumping out of the boat, and he swims over to his Lord, and he's about to have a conversation with Jesus that's going to change his life forever. And there's times, church, when, when, when we maybe aren't the best of individuals, right? I'll say that, where we fall short. To, you know that it, it, it could just take one conversation with Jesus, one conversation with the Lord to set you back into that right motion, to set you back into that right path. And here in the book of John, chapter 21, Peter is, is having this conversation with Jesus. In verse 15 and 18, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, and Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, son, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus was telling him, get past what happened. Get past this failure. Get past this, this, what took place in your life because I have a call on you still. And I have a plan for you. And that plan is for you to feed and to take care of my lamb and my sheep. I've always said that God uses imperfect people to bring about his perfect plan, right? John Maxwell said this, God uses people who fail because uh, there aren't any other kind around. That's the bottom line, right? We're all, we all have shortcomings. We all have flaws. We all have character issues that God is working in our lives. We're being sanctified. None of us have arrived. None of us have achieved 
until we, we, we die, we pass from this life, and to go and be with the Lord, we're going to have struggle. We're going to have issues. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to feel that at times we're not qualified to do what God has asked us to do. And we can't go based off what we feel, but what God is doing within our lives. Gideon, he didn't feel like a mighty warrior. He didn't feel like he was qualified to lead an army, but that's what God called him to do. Jeremiah, he didn't feel like he was qualified to be a prophet, but the Bible says that, that God called him while he was still in his mother's womb to be a prophet. Moses, he didn't feel like he was qualified to confront Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, Lord, I can't even talk right. Could you pick someone else? But yet, it was Moses who God had called. And sometimes God is calling us to do something that we might not feel like we're qualified for. God's saying, no, I've called you. And if you trust me, and if you trust the word of God, and if you trust what I'm doing in your life, uh, you'll be able to do what I'm calling you to do. See, God used Peter's greatest setback and turned it into his greatest comeback. Book of Luke, chapter 22 Verses 31 through 32, it says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But highlight verse 32, all right? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter's denial of Jesus did not take Jesus by surprise. He knew exactly what was going to take place. He even predicted, predicted it. He says, but when you've come back to me, when I've restored you, I need you to do this. I need you to strengthen your brethren. I need you to be an encouragement to your brothers and to your sisters. I need you to be that rock that I have called you to be. It starts to make sense now, right? And that's exactly what Peter began to do. Where he was cowering because of the mob and saying he didn't know the Lord, now all of a sudden he becomes bold and courageous. And he begins to speak with authority that God had given him that sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 plus come to salvation. Now Peter, man, he begins to preach the gospel, and, and when people start telling him, you, you can't say that, you can't preach the name of Jesus, you better hush, Peter says, who am I going to listen, who am I going to obey, man or God? Something had changed in, in Peter's life, something had taken place because he was believing the words of God, he was believing the words of Christ. Peter laid hands on the sick, he rose Tabitha from the dead, and ultimately Peter, the disciple that denied Jesus, he made good on his promise, and he died for Jesus. And tradition says that he died, he was crucified, but he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way his Lord died. That's tradition. It's not written in the Bible, but that's his church tradition. We do know that Peter was martyred for the gospel, for Jesus. Peter was tasked to feed and to tend to the lambs and to the sheep of, of Jesus. He was meant to disciple them. And in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 and 10, as our worship team comes up, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious 
and watchful in your prayers. Sounds like Peter learned some things. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. He says, because love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as each of you has received a gift, minister it, minister that gift to one another as good stewards of the manifold, manifold grace of God. What Peter was saying is, you've been saved. God has done a work in your life. God has touched you. Be prayed up, but minister. And the same call that Peter got on his life to feed the lambs and to feed the sheep of God, as he was saying, you do the same thing. God has given you gifts. Use those gifts to encourage others. Use those gifts to bless others. Use those gifts to help others. Each and every one of us here tonight uh, is fruit of someone's service, of someone's labor. Because at some point, someone served us, uh, whether it was someone ministered and shared the gospel to us, or whether it was uh, when we were struggling, we came in, and the word of God that came across the pulpit ministered and strengthened us and gave us that ability to go forward one more day. Maybe it was uh, a Royal Ranger commander or, or an impact girl teacher that ministered to you, and you're here today because of that. We're all the fruit of someone's raising their hands and saying, you know what, God, if you can use someone, use me. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. And that's what the word of God is explaining and, and, and helping us today is that we can't just be constantly receiving, that there's an expectancy within our lives to also give, to also give back, to also to invest into others. And, and be that tool that which God feeds others. I was um, going over this today, and uh, Chaplain Julio, the late Chaplain Julio and the late Chaplain George, uh, they came to my mind because these were men that um, had just devoted their lives to serving God, and they, de they devoted their later lives, their later years to serving God in prison, to serving God in the prisons. They took it upon the, the, the call that God had given them. They took that and they were feeding the lambs and the sheep of God that were locked up, that were incarcerated, that weren't looking at freedom anytime soon. And they took those words that bring life and freedom and they were feeding God's lambs and God's sheep there. Them gentlemen, they fulfilled the call of God on their lives. They're, they're in the presence of God. They're enjoying. You thought our worship service was good. They're enjoying. But we need that next generation of prison ministry workers. We need that next generation of Royal Ranger commanders. We need that next generation of nursery workers, of impact girl teachers. We need that next generation of individuals that said, I've received so much. What can I give back? How can I invest? How can I bless someone else? In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 34 and 35, and I close with this. It says, you yourselves know, this is Paul speaking, that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed 
you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said and is written in red, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There's times where um, ministry can be tiring. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's emotional. And there's times where, honestly, I feel like sometimes saying, you know, can I just call in? Like, you know, can the sound be ran today without me? Can someone else fill in? You know, it's just the human side, right? But then I think, you know what? God has done so much. He's done so much in my life that whenever I needed that church to be open, those church doors have been open. Whenever I needed a word of encouragement, uh, I got it. Whenever I needed someone to help me pray, someone was available. Whenever I've uh, been down and someone says, hey, can I encourage you with some words? They've been able to do it. And I've received, and I've received so much from the men and women of God here within this congregation. And so I say, you know, what can I give back? How can I invest? Who can I impart into? And that's the call of God that each and every one of us has here today is to invest, is to minister to others, is to be like Peter, feeding the lambs of God, feeding the sheep of God. In whatever way God has called you to do it, whether it's to be at a juvenile hall or in a prison cell somewhere, or whether it's to be in the nursery, ministering to our children, our babies, our grandchildren. Man, if you would just allow yourself to be used, allow yourself to be used of God, you'll see how blessed, how blessed, how blessed you'll be. And you'll be like, Lord, I, I should have been doing this years earlier, God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight in reverence to God,